Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's happening, Memphis? We are back after a long hiatus uh, for the Gri- Commercial Appeals Grizzlies podcast. A lot has transpired. Um, I think an entire pandemic has gone on since the last time we did a Grizzlies podcast. Um, we have a new beat writer. And, oh, by the way, the Grizzlies went from a team that was in the midst of you know the beginning stages of a rebuild to... Hello, they're the third seed in the West, third best record in the NBA. What an exciting time uh, to be following the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I am joined by DeMichael Cole, our new Grizzlies beat writer. He's been here about a month now, doing a great job. We're going to get to know, let, let you get to know him a little bit here over the course of this podcast, but also a lot to discuss with the Grizzlies, we'll break down where they are right now. Um, so we will break down sort of how they got here, how they reached here. So a lot to get to on this podcast. But I first wanted to uh, talk to DeMichael Cole a little bit. He is a Memphis native, over proud Overton High School graduate. He comes to us from the Philadelphia Inquirer. DeMichael, I guess for those listening – for those who have been reading your stuff over the last month, um, what does this mean to you to be the to be covering the Grizzlies back home um, in Memphis? Man, uh, first of all, it's 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 so good to be here. You know, it's it's been almost like a dream come true in a way. Like you said, I, I graduated from from Overton High School. I grew up in the Parkway Village uh, neighborhood, and Memphis is pretty much all I've ever known. You know, I didn't. We didn't take a lot of trips growing up. It was always around Memphis, 24-7, 365. So uh, it's it's amazing, and, you know, just to, to feel the love from the people as well, you know, uh, just seeing people send me screenshots of them reading the newspaper without me saying, hey, you know, this story is going to be in the paper. It's just people send me screenshots and say, hey, we saw you in the paper, or they show me them reading the story. Or uh, one of my friends calls me and says, uh, my dad or, you know, my aunt or someone was, was reading your story in the paper today. Or people take pictures of me at the game where I'm sitting, you know, uh, courtside uh, in the media section. And people take pictures of me and send it to my phone during the game. Just all those little signs are to show that people, you know, are really uh, proud of me being back here. But for me personally, it's it's amazing. You know, I, I, I like I said, I grew up here. Uh, I still remember my the very first uh, Grizzlies game that I went to. And, what game and, was it? And I can't I can't remember who they were playing, but I was in the second grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it was very much a lot of Stro Miles Swift in that game. Okay. It was a lot of uh, we had a little Bonzi Wells. Uh, well, some, some Mike he's Miller. back. He's back yeah, too. Exactly. Coach yeah. Lemoyne. Exactly. So well, that kind of that it's striking though that yeah. You basically second grade is the first Grizzlies game you went to. There's a lot of people listening to this who ha- who remember a time yep. 
where Memphis did not have the Grizzlies yeah. a long time. Right, didn't right. Have the Grizzlies. There was no major professional team, but yeah. you're part of a generation that grew up with an NBA team in mm-hmm. Memphis. Um, so that, that's got to be something. I, I'm curious, how did the Grizzlies factor in your life growing up? Yeah. You know, like what, what part of, you know, like, mm-hmm. I guess, what did it mean? You know, I said, what did it mean to be back here? What did yeah. it mean? What did the Grizzlies mean to you as a kid growing up here? Yeah, well, I wasn't like a, a big Grizzlies fan. And, and we can get into it because, like, with the Grizzlies, I think you're going to have the generational, you know, um, differences in how people uh, gravitate to them. Whereas I feel like when I was growing up, I grew up when the Grizzlies, you know, were getting swept in the playoffs back to back. To, and people were just wanting them to win a playoff game, yeah. let alone, you know, like the aspirations they have for this team or during the grit and grind years. And I tell people um, from my perspective and, and just my opinion, I don't think, you know, those teams – you know, those earlier teams, even though they were winning, you know, 50-plus games and, you know, you had some really good players and whatnot, the the team didn't have a identity that really related with this city into grit and grind. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, grit and grind took on its own national relevance, and that's why when people think of Memphis Grizzlies basketball, even when those players started to leave, they just thought of the words grit and, you know, toughness and things like that because uh, that team really – embodied the culture of the city and showed it on a national scale. Whereas before that, I don't think that was, you know, as much the case. Really good teams, but it was like, you know, they weren't winning playoff games. So for me, they were fun to watch. You know, um, we would go pretty much like when we get free tickets. The students, you know, we get free tickets to the game. You go on a field trip and, you know, you go there with all your friends. We probably stop at the Civil Rights Museum or go by the Pink Palace or something and then head to the Grizzlies game after that. So that was always fun and and, you know, as kids, you just like the flesh, mm-hmm. um, I feel like. And that's why, you know, John ja Morant, in 20 years, we're going to see – I mean, not even 20 years. It's probably going to be five to ten years. It's like Steph Curry. Um, in 2012, you didn't see this, you know, craziness about Steph Curry. But now, I mean, he's right beside – I mean, you know, Mark LeBron James in terms of when we yeah. get to games before the game and you see those away sections fill up, it's Steph Curry and LeBron James. right? At, he's right at the top with them. So, um I mean, I enjoyed watching Strowell Swift's dunks, you yeah. know. Lorenzen Wright was the home guy, so we yeah. all, you know, we all Y'all rooted for Lorenzen. Yeah. We loved Jason Williams' passes. Mm-hmm. So it was more of that. And Mike Miller, you know, we love seeing Mike Miller shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, Pow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but they didn't connect in a way. And, and yeah, exactly. what I find fascinating, if we flash forward now to, the, to this season, much like those grit and grind teams, it feels like this current mm-hmm. version of the Grizzlies with John ja Moran, mm-hmm. Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, even though he's been hurt this year a bunch, it feels like they have a – I don't know if it's yet the connection the grit and grind Grizzlies had because that yeah. takes – you know, that, that was you yeah, know, that, seven that was years. That yeah. was seven years. This is just year three of Ja, but it does feel like there is – a strong connection between team and city yeah. with this group. I know, right, Mark? It's 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 crazy. And you talked about the built-up uh, connection that had to happen with the previous, you know, the grit and grind team, more so because they had to prove, you know, mm-hmm. more, I think, over that time. You know, you had veterans. You were bringing in a veteran guy like, you know, Zebo, uh, T.A. had, you know, did what he did with Boston and things like that. So this, that was more of a prove-it group, whereas with this team, you know, fans have saw, you know, them – enter the bubble as the eight seed, you know, and, you know, things fell apart in the bubble. Or last season they got to the playoffs. 
I think fans are just were waiting for this next step, like craving it, and they're here. And I think the reason people are gravitating to them a lot faster probably than the grit and grind era is because they're all so young. So it's like, man, they're going to be around a while. You know, you locked up DeAnthony Melton. Um, you, you, Jaw's going to get, you know, he's going to break the bank this summer. <laughs> and Jaron Jackson got his extension. Yeah. Um, these guys, the core group is going to be there for a while. Desmond Bain is playing on a rookie a rookie contract, like, and he's averaging 18 points a game. So as long as you have that core group intact, the people mm-hmm. are going to, you know, and they love this team. Like, they play with that flash where you get the kids who love, and then they play with that that toughness, that grit, where I think a lot of older people relate to. So it's that correlation from, from both perspectives that really just makes this team more nationally like, I think, than even the grit and grind team. Well, the other part is I think, you know, it's, it's funny. La- after last season, uh, general manager Zach Kleiman yep. noted, you know, hey, this isn't necessarily a linear thing. It doesn't, you know, just because you made the playoffs last year doesn't mean, like, doesn't mean you have to take a big step forward the next year. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be a, you know, steady type of thing, or maybe you even take a step back to take three steps forward the next year. It was kind of how he was framing, mm-hmm. especially when they made the trade with Jonas Valanciunas. But I think what's been uh, the reason why everyone, I think, has really embraced this team so much is they've skipped steps every step along the way. I mean, the fr- ever since Ja got here, the yeah. first year Ja was here, it was supposed to be a total, you know, another total yep. rebuild year, mm-hmm. and they end up o- almost making the playoffs. They make the play-in scenario yep. and lose to Portland in the bubble last year. I think most people were like, "Okay, just get in the play-in," and and I guess yeah. last year they didn't take a bunch of steps forward. Mm-hmm. Partially because Jaron didn't play, right? For the you know people didn't most expect the them to beat Golden State either. Yes, so. but they still took a step forward. Yeah. They made it to the playoffs last year, and they they take a game from Utah. Got some real mm-hmm. postseason experience. Beat Steph Curry in mm-hmm. San Francisco right. in a play-in scenario, and then this year it feels like they've taken a giant leap. I mean, especially over you know basically from the moment John Morant got injured. The, I believe it was the night after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. against Atlanta. Um, they've been – I think only the Phoenix Suns have a better record than them since yeah. that time uh, in the entire NBA. <laughs> and they've moved all the way up to third in the Western Conference. They have a comfortable cushion over Utah, who's in fourth. Um, and they're the talk of the league. John Moran is an all-star starter. Yep. Um Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. have emerged as kind of the yeah, I don't I don't want to say big three, but a clear like trio that can that feels like you know they're they're really good and could be really good for a long time here in Memphis. Um, and I mean, John Morant's become a superstar. He's not just a superstar in Memphis; like he is, you know, the, like I said, they are the talk of the NBA right now. So. I'm curious, you've been around this close-up for a month, been watching it from afar for a while. As you survey this season, I want us to come up with, what are the five biggest reasons these Grizzlies are where they are right now? That Where they're 36-17 and 17 as we record this. Um, they've got, you know, one of the most electrifying players in the NBA, if not maybe the most electrifying right now. Uh, it seems like he is the... He's like Giannis was four or five years ago, where 
you know, every you know, everyone wants to go see him now because they've heard about all these things. They've seen the highlights on Sports Center, um, and he's deliver Jaws delivering basically every night. I mean, he's making thirty point games look routine at this point. Um, so, but I'm curious. Five biggest reasons in your mind as you've watched this play out that the Grizzlies are where they are today. What would you say? Let's go in reverse order. In reverse order. Okay. So fifth reason why. Or fifth, any order you want. Okay. Well, if the fifth reason, let's let's start with one of those things that, that doesn't get a lot of attention, you know, as much as other things. And that's Stephen Adams and his attention to detail. Oh, okay. And, because um, so people were critical of that trade. Yeah. Some people were critical of that right. trade when it went down, yeah. where you get you lose Jonas, who was a big part of the team the last yeah. few years, mm-hmm. and you get Steven Adams, move up in the draft, yeah. and you get an extra draft pick. Um, you move up in the draft, and you end up with Zaire Williams. Right. Um, but you, so, so you think Adams is, has been, like, that's, in your mind, one of the big reasons, Steven Adams. 100%, uh, because... He is he's the oldest guy in the locker room. It's it's almost funny. It's the comical thing about this team. The oldest guy is twenty eight years old. That's yeah. that's what we consider the prime of someone's career, right? So mm-hmm. that's 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 the oldest player on this team. So Stephen Adams has that that unique role of bringing that veteran presence on and off the court. And on the court, when I mention attention to detail, um, the rebounding, you know. He's the sole reason why they are the top offensive rebounding and rebounding team in the NBA right now. He's the NBA's top offensive rebounder. And you see the difference when he was in health and safety protocols where they would hold their own on the glass, but it was nowhere near um, the three shots or even four shots sometimes they get on certain possessions because you look at the numbers. They're not some great you know, field goal percentage shooting team. Yeah. They just get a lot more shots than other teams because it's – Stephen Adams, yeah, it's it's Stephen Adams tip outs and those little things, but also um, John Morant right now is having a historical year scoring in the paint, right? And I did a story on this that that's on you know commercial appeal about how Stephen Adams uh, kind of came up to John Morant and mentioned this little detail about when he sets a screen and John Morant puts the guard on his back. So when John Morant's driving the ball and the guard is on his back, so the big man is supposed to step up in front of John Morant. But Steven Adams, who's, you know, 6'11", 265, kind of, without, without making it any legal screen, just a very savvy veteran move, kind of like shields yeah. the guy. And we see it pretty much almost every game, and John Morant usually gets a wide-open layup. And even when it doesn't result in the wide-open layup, other teams are probably seeing it a little bit more. It results in a wing from the other side having to come down. So you have three guys trying to guard one, essentially, and you're going to have the corners open. We see if there's been any you know resurgence with, with Zaire Williams and how he's played, it's the corner three ball is, is money with him. Mm-hmm. So those shots are opening up all because of Steven Adams. The paint layups, the corner three-pointers, it's a lot of Steven Adams without him even having to touch the ball. Well, and I would add this, that point, he doesn't have to touch the ball. The difference between him and Jonas is Jonas's effectiveness yep. was with the ball in his hands, working mm-hmm. post moves. I don't know if Desmond Bain has quite the has quite the season he's having. I don't. Yep. I don't know if John Morant even has quite the season he's having. If you've got Jonas in there, and not to say Jonas is a bad player, he's a he's a great player. Yeah. Um, having a nice season in New Orleans right now, doing exactly what mm-hmm. he was doing with Memphis, but 
it free the fact that Stephen Adams' effectiveness is not reliant on him needing the ball in his hands. Um, and oh, by the way, he's a better passer. Yeah, that's uh, that's the Jonas other thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's an under the radar yeah. uh, boost. And oh, by the way, like even if you want to argue, and I think you can, that like maybe you know if you look at Jonas's numbers, he's having a tremendous year. That maybe Jonas, you took a slight, probably not as much of a decline as you maybe thought in the moment but let's say let's say you consider Jonas a little bit better mm-hmm. than Steven Adams I'm not even willing not sure I'm willing to go there because I think Steven like you put it Steven yeah. Adams fits this team really well um but you also got Zaire Williams and another first round draft pick yeah. out of the deal um so uh that seems to have worked out well um uh, and again going back to what Zach Kleiman said I think it indicates why this has actually been a linear thing still where yeah. they keep going up and up and up. All right. Mm-hmm. Reason number four. So reason number four, let's, let's – Why get, are the Grizzlies so good? Let's get into the defense. Uh, okay. Because – you know, defense was awful at the beginning of the, the year. Defense was awful at the beginning of the year, and they – Reason why they started 9 and 10. Yep. <laughs> and they made, a, they made a big, big – I mean, it, it happened gradually, but it happened fast. And – and Taylor Jenkins, you know, these guys play hard for him. And defensively, they cause a lot of havoc. That's that's how this defense is making its name. And, you know, once once you see them play, you know, the lazy comparison is always going to be the grit and grind teams because, you know, mm-hmm. that's, you know, when people think defense in Memphis, grit and grind. This team doesn't play defense anything like that. Um, the grit and grind teams, you know, they were top – top of the league in uh, points allowed, uh, field goal percentage defense, those type stats. This team isn't at the top of the league in points allowed or field goal percentage defense. They're more um, back end of the top ten, middle of the pack. But this defense creates, I mean, they lead the league in loose balls recovered. They lead the league in deflections. They're top of the league in steals. They're top of the league in blocks. It's all these hustle sets that just create easy opportunities. And the result of that is them leading the league in fast break points. And we've seen some, you know, some crazy highlights when this team gets into fast break and you got John Morant running full speed down the middle with the ball and Zaire Williams running beside him or even Jaron Jackson, we've seen that sometimes dribble the ball and throw an alley-oop to John Morant. I mean, uh, the defense, the havoc that they create pretty much against everyone has just made things so much easier for them offensively because I don't think they're the most gifted offensive team in terms of give all these different guys the ball one-on-one, you know, like a Nets maybe or hmm, a Suns or you have multiple guys where you can say, here, get the ball and everyone move out the way. This team has John Morant to do that, but they create so much havoc defensively. It just makes, you know, offense that much easier. Even more impressive, they've done it mostly without Dylan Brooks, who Mm -hmm. who is their best Maybe they're you know, probably there was their best perimeter defender, but probably going into the year their best overall defender. I don't think that's the case anymore with what Jaron Jackson Jr. is <laughs> yep. doing. Um, his development has been huge. I, I'm going to guess he might be one of the reasons. Reason number three. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you just did it. I think Jaron Jackson, his ability to play defense while trying to limit the fouls. So. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me get into this because if you look at the raw numbers of Jaron Jackson and his fouls, you know he's still near the top of the leagues and you know giving up fouls and things like that. But it's happening in a different way. So so let me explain. So basically, 
let's take the month of January, for example. In January, Jaron Jackson, up until the last game of the month, he had more blocks, I believe it was 50, than fouls, and it was 48, up until the last game of January. So he, I mean, defensively he's playing smarter, but his aggression is changing throughout the game. Where I think in the past, let's say Jaron Jackson has one foul with seven minutes left in the first quarter. He's still playing like he has zero fouls. Where now, I think what we're noticing is when Jaron Jackson has one foul, he's able to, you know, get preserved through that first quarter and then maybe pick up another foul in the second, in the first half with two fouls. So you end the game, you still see him pick up four fouls a lot of times, which will put you near the top of the league. But the four fouls are happening differently, whereas in the past you see him pick up two real quick. Now he's sitting on yeah. the bench. And, you know, he comes in, what, midway through the second quarter, and, you know, he still ends up with four fouls, but it impacted his minutes. Now I think the biggest thing that I've noticed really since I've been here is, oh, he'll pick up that first foul. Usually it's early. Usually his first foul kind of comes in that first six-minute stretch, and then he tones it down a little bit. You know, he's not playing, you know, he's not pump, He's not jumping for pump fakes any, as much and things like that. And his, you know, attention to detail in that area – is a big reason why, because availability is the most important thing with, with Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, you see him on the court. Uh, teams know, and teams know where they can drive the ball, and, and that's another benefit to having Steven Adams, too, uh, because usually when Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson are in the game, you can just watch Jaron Jackson. He can, like, freelance all across the court knowing that you're going to have Steven Adams behind you. So you see Jaron Jackson you know, jumping out, getting blocks on the wing. You see him getting chased down blocks. and Or you see him just straight up blocking his man or coming over on the help side. So he does it in so many different ways. It's like he's everywhere. But his his ability to get these blocks without fouling as much is, I mean, that's that's changed the defense drastically. Well, and, I'll be, and, and I also think on the offensive end, he's not – He's still shooting threes, yeah. but he's not settling for as many threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's being more aggressive. And then um, I will be curious, especially as we get to the playoffs, you know, long term, I think he's seen as a as a five by the Grizzlies, like they'd like to play him at the five. He's been effective at the five this year, especially with Brandon Clark yep. playing beside him. When they're closing games in the playoffs – what what does it look like? Is it Jaron at the five? Is it as you mentioned, yeah. Stephen Adams and him together? You know what what exactly? How do they deploy him when you know when this when it really gets serious? When you're when you're in your game five yeah. of a playoff series? Because we're gonna we're gonna learn some things then. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's part of it. Like they're having this great success this season, but mm-hmm. as everyone knows, the playoffs are a different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will be curious how Jaron is deployed. Um, once we get to those big, the biggest moments of That's the a season, good point. Um, I, you know, because I, I think you can make an argument either way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, well, he, you know, he can do some other things defensively when Stephen Adams is out there. It'll probably be a little matchup dependent. You know, if you're playing a team with a rugged center, mm-hmm. you know, if you're playing the Denver Nuggets, maybe yep. you're more inclined to play Stephen Adams some more minutes. That being said, when they did play the Nuggets this year in crunch time. They didn't play they Stephen didn't, Adams. Yep, they had right. Jaron Jackson Jr. in there at the five. Um, you know, when you play, if you play the Mavericks, what are you going to do with Porzingis? How do you how do you match up with him? Uh, my gut tells me, down the stretch of the playoff games, Jaron's going to play the five. Yeah, more spacing, and yeah. you need you you need big baskets in 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 those situations. But I think uh, 
A lot of people say, like, his development, like, how he goes feels like how the Grizzlies are going to go this season. Like, I think you sort of know what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis from John Moran at this point. (laughs) I honestly think Desmond Bain a little bit, you kind of know. I don't think Desmond Bain's ceiling isn't as high as Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, and that's the difference, the two-way ceiling, if you Mm -hmm. will. Jaron, it feels like there's still a little more variance on a night-to-night basis. But when he's at his best, th- I mean, this team looks unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's he's next level. I mean, you you just don't see a lot of guys, seven feet guys, who can you know drive the ball to the basket and and do euro steps. You know, like we see from him from time to time, or dribble up the court and throw the the alley oop to to John Morant. Who you know when he windmilled it, and you know top play on Sports Center and, and whatnot. So he has a unique skill set. And and you, you you hit it perfectly. Uh, I think Taylor Jenkins. What I've noticed is he's a field coach, whereas a lot of coaches you have you know I think two different types of coaches when it comes to rotations and things like that. Some coaches have set rotations. This player will come in at the six minute mark of the first quarter, or this player will start the second quarter and things like that. He does that I think a lot in the first half, and then the second half it's more what happened in the first half dictates what he does in the second half. We've seen games where, you know, John Morant usually plays the entire third quarter, but we've seen games where he keeps him out there for the start of the fourth. We see games where he takes him out like he usually does, but he brings in Jaron Jackson to start the fourth. It's, he's a very much a field coach, but going into that last stretch of the game in terms of with Jaron Jackson, I think uh, Brandon Clark's, you know, what he's done too is, is really, you know, helped. His, his, uh, his resurgence. Yeah, his right. Back. Yep, After he's a back. Disappointing <laughs> second year. Um, all right, I think I know what reason number one is. What's reason number two? <laughs> reason reason number two is just just the growth and the development throughout the roster. It's the, it's the depth. Uh, Desmond Bain is obviously you know prime example number one. Desmond Bain is. I mean, he had a really good rookie year, but summer league. You know, I talked to him the other day at shoot around, and um, he was just telling me about how in summer league he he. Even before summer league, he stayed in Memphis. He didn't go back home, and he, you know, worked with Darko, uh, you know, the assistant coach, who's known for, you know, Ryakovich. Yeah, yeah. I learned how to pronounce his name when he was the interim or whatever. He yeah, was acting yeah. head coach. <laughs> so he worked with him, who, you know, in, and they spent a lot of time focusing on on the ball stuff with Desmond Bank. You know, we saw him a lot as a rookie, as a as a spot up shooter and things like that. What you're seeing more this year is a guy who can score in pick and roll. He likes to come off that screen, and you know he has that nice mid range shot. He's one of the best pull up three point shooters in the NBA this season. He does that stuff with 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 uh, Stephen Adams? Adams. Yep. Yeah, the and little uh, curl curl around, curl yep. around Stephen Adams. And, too. and that's resulted in a lot of layups. You know, yeah. he, I talked to him about that as well. So just uh, when Stephen Adams has the ball, he cuts hard because. You know, sometimes with NBA players, you know, if certain players have the ball, you're just going to go through the motions because oh, he's not going to throw it to me anyway. When Steven Adams has the ball, he's beeline into the basket. Well, Steven Adams is looking to pass the ball. He does he, not. Steven Adams He's not going to shoot a last, mid-range jumper. He, 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 he won't shoot a mid-range jumper, and he's only going to dribble and try and go to the cup as a last resort. Yep. Like, that is his la- <laughs> that is the That is like – if he's doing that, it means in his mind he's failed. Exactly. I think, I think that's how Stephen Adams said. Yep. No, but you're right. Uh, to put it simply, I mean, Desmond Bain can do a lot more things than I thought he could. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, I think it has elevated this team. But I think you're right to phrase it as roster development because you go down the Zaire. line. Zaire, yeah. over the last 20 games or so since mm-hmm. coming back from his ankle injury, 
has looked like a different player. A complete 180. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and frankly, we can get in this in the trade deadline talk. It makes you think about, you know, con- the right. roster construction a year or two from now, mm-hmm. um, specifically relating to Dylan Brooks. Um, you've also got John Conchar having yeah. a career year. He's, I mean, he's getting double doubles, like when he, when he starts. Mm-hmm. It's, he, these guys provide completely different things when they come in the lineup and it's it's kind of you know crazy to see because we saw a lot of it when they had you know six players in health and safety protocols you know at the beginning of january and they were still able to win games so you get zaire starts the game and he's more of that spot up you know spacer type guy but in transition he's gonna run the floor show like dribble pull-ups exactly taking it to the the he has a little bit he has see like in a year you, you you like in a year or two it's gonna get. It's, he's gonna make that Desmond Bain jump probably. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, Tyus Jones is having a career year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good being done uh, in terms of roster development. I mean, it, yep. it speaks to the one the front office has drafted and signed a lot of guys who mm-hmm. you know maybe weren't sexy at the time, yeah. but have you know I, I think it played a big role in this. Being yeah. fat, this this rebuild being like a fast tracked rebuild. Yeah, and these guys appreciate this, man. I mean, I was I was talking to uh, uh, Anthony Melton too about just like your first year in the league, you played on a 19 win Suns team, you know, and I'm like didn't you know, play much. I believe he, he had like he, he played like stuff. yeah, yeah, he played 18 minutes and 23 minutes here and there, but but he he yeah he was you know just like a middle of middle of the pack player on a team that was bad. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he's talking about just being in this moment with this team. Or you go back to Tyus Jones in Minnesota. You know, Minnesota had so much talent, but they just, you well, know. People forget, like, when they signed Tyus Jones, I'll never forget, DeLon Wright, mm-hmm. they, who they got in the Marcus Gasol trade, mm-hmm. had, had, had like a wild last 20 games of the year <laughs> for the Grizzlies. Had a bunch of triple doubles, yep. and it was like, hmm, do you want to re-sign DeLon Wright? And what the Grizzlies did is they – they not only didn't sign DeLon Wright and decided to sign Tyus Jones instead, which mm-hmm. I think, even though DeLon Wright's still a nice NBA player, I think I'd prefer to have Tyus it Jones because he's yeah. more of a true point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also got two second-round picks out of it. They made it a sign-and-trade with mm-hmm. the, I believe, Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just those are the little subtle things that have happened along yeah. the way. All right, reason number one. I, I think it's, it's, it's no one's going. No yeah. one's going to find it. No it's a surprise here. It's it's yeah. just the ascension, as you said, of the superstar, uh, yeah. John ja Morant. I mean, it's it's funny because when I when I first got here, um, I wasn't I wasn't covering you know the game so to speak, but I went just to get a feel for the beat and things like that. And I and I went to the game. It was the OKC loss. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's his first game back. And, you know, that was the one where he said the, the yeah. people were heckling him courtside. Exactly. And, and just watching his demeanor after that game, you know, he, he, he was sad. He wasn't really, you know, just talking loudly into the mic. And so the guy that I really, you know, gotten to see over the last month. And it's crazy how um, his team, they were 100% behind him that whole time. And now it's kind of reversed around. Where every press conference, he's Jaron Jackson, Defensive Player of the Year, Desmond Bain, Most Improved, Taylor Jenkins, Coach of the Year. He's really vouching for these guys, and John Morant has that platform now. Um, we saw when they played Brooklyn in early January, he got MVP chance in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and we saw you know on this past Saturday 
when they played the Orlando Magic. He got an MVP chance in Orlando, and I think I remember Brevin Knight, the uh, you know Valley Sports TV analyst, saying on the broadcast that there were more Grizzlies people uh, sitting courtside than Orlando Magic fans. Yeah, which is insane. Well, and I think I think it's I think he's becoming one of those players. I'm not comparing him as a player to Kobe Bryant or to LeBron or that like that. Fan defect, but like, yeah. but like, where people are John Morant fans. Yep. You know, like people in other cities are just John Morant fans, mm-hmm. and then in inherently become Grizzlies fans as well because yep. that's his team. Yep. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I think he's reason number one. I mean, the reality is there are not many teams who have a guy like John Morant who basically, when it is a big moment in the game. Like people cannot, people can play off him at the free throw line. He's gotten better at shooting the three ball as a result. But even when they play him at the free throw line, he still can get in the lane. Yeah. Like he literally, you're, you're, you're telling him, "Hey, come to me," <laughs> and, and he's yeah. like, "Fine." Like I can just come up and jump right over you. <laughs> and he's doing things that are just, I mean, it's just incredible. Memphis has never seen anything like it. I, I do, I, you know, I, I did those columns a couple yeah. weeks ago where you know, like there are sports marketing folks who say you know they say like Mm -hmm. basically if you go back and look at sort of the popularity of lebron in year three and compare it to ja like he's not that far off now lebron took a huge leap in years four and five right he won mvp back to back but right now he's that's where that's that's the way john morant's tracking and you know frankly he's been one of the five best players in the league this year he's a legitimate mvp candidate He's going to be at worst second team All NBA mm-hmm. at worst, and right. might you know right now with Steph Curry kind of leveling off, mm-hmm. like you, there, I think there's a very good argument that he's first team All NBA yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, um, it's 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 wild to see, and I think it'll jump another level All Star yeah. weekend. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think there, that's going to be another showcase for mm-hmm. in that All Star game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, and, and it's not just the superstar status either, though. It's that he's he is the right kind he he's got the right kind of makeup, it feels like. Like he is not a me first player. He yeah. is he, he's bringing along the team for the ride. You know, you point out he's like vouching for all them mm-hmm. for postseason awards and you know, sometimes I find that to be a little like overdone. Like Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team that was starting a campaign for player of the year awards. Yeah. In December, but whatever <laughs> that that part is, whatever the part that is meaningful though is that like I think I think he really truly cares about his teammates, and I think the atmosphere and joy this team plays with and the competitiveness they play with, mm-hmm. I think it's all it all trickles down from him. I know like there's a culture that's set by Taylor Jenkins, and I'm not trying to diminish that. But I really think if Ja wasn't on board with it, if Ja hadn't embraced it, like everyone takes their cues from him, yeah. and um, I just think he is—he is a—he is doesn't get enough credit for I think the type of leader that he is, um, and the way he's sort of emote—he both both physically on the court with how he plays is kind of the engine of this team, but also emotionally. He's the engine of this team, yeah. and I think he's the type of person you want in that role. Yeah, that's that's what more people are starting to see. You know, like slowly but surely. You know, everyone known known him as this. You know, this freak athlete at point guard, who you know can do. You know, he can make highlight plays. But 
what we're starting to notice now is the leader. And I go back to the game against the Sixers. Uh, you know, that game was back and forth. He and Tyreek Maxey were going going at it. You know, you had Tobias Harris, Desmond Bain playing out of their minds too. And John Moran in overtime, after he had, mind you, made the game-tying basket in at the end of regulation in the fourth quarter, in overtime, he's driving to the basket, and of course, you know they they know he's trying to get to the rim. So so Tobias Harris comes, you know, comes down fast, and you have Andre Drummond at the rim. So he's kind of surrounded by three guys, and he kicks it to Zaire Williams in the corner. Zaire Williams misses the shot. Grizzlies lose. So that's a big point of emphasis. And you know, we talked to him after the game, and I, you know, I asked him, you know, what did you see there? And I mean, this was a big moment. I thought because he says, you know, basically, look. Um, he was open. It was the right play. He said, if it happened again, the same situation played out, I'd give Zaire Williams that same shot. And he said, you know, if someone, if they want someone to be mad at, be mad at me. I had nine turnovers, you know. And the next game, Zaire Williams has a career high, 21 at points the at the Garden. And he was a big reason why they won that game. I mean, and he, I mean, I think he shot like seven of eight. And and he, I mean, he was shooting out of his mind. And that, I feel like a big part of that, because Zion Williams told us, he was, I was down on myself after this, hitting the wall and, you know, all those type things, you know, just he wasn't, now he wasn't, you know, I mean, you're a rookie. You want to really be able to, to show that you, you belong in the game in that moment. And Josh saying, no, I, same shot, I'd give it to him again. Gave him a little confidence, you know, gave him that boost. And next game, I mean, Zaire has his career high. So that's a big – I feel like that's a big John Morant moment too, just so as much as these 40-point games and, you know, 30-point games that we're seeing, um, that growth, because that that's what you can see trickle down throughout the roster. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's reflected in their record. But we'll have tons of coverage of it over at commercialappeal.com. We're going to start doing these Grizzlies podcasts regularly. This team's too good not to. Um, forced us out of sec- out of uh, seclusion. <laughs> we had to. We debuted the new podcast studio here at, at the Commercial Pill headquarters earlier than expected because um, this team's too good. Uh, so uh, Michael and I will uh, try to join you here weekly uh, here throughout the rest of the season and the playoffs to keep you up to date on the Grizzlies. To Michael. Welcome back to Memphis. Welcome to the Commercial Pill. We're really happy to have you here, and I'm glad to be doing this podcast with you. Likewise, likewise, Marcus. It's great to be here, and like you said, this team is too good. Uh, let's let's have some fun with it. You know, um, it's it's going to be a fun ride. Uh, they're going to be around for a while. This this regular season, you know, they have the weakest schedule remaining in the league. So let's let's see what they do with that. Are they going to take advantage, or are they going to you know play down to the level of their competition? And that'll probably bring up concerns entering the playoffs. And but if they finish the season strong, then you know what type of questions are going to st- start to come after that. So it's it's about to be a fun ride. Let's let absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. We'll we'll have uh, we'll have all we'll chronicle it all at commercialpeel.com. Until next time, I was Mark. That was DeMichael. Thanks so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.